0: today we're looking at the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, who I think is a huge part in what is going to happen with God's people in the future. Uh, God's people the world over. God's people both here uh, in St. Mary's Slaffam and also those uh, facing persecution even today for their faith in Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at the Spirit of God and as we do so, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are our perfect Heavenly Father. We thank you for sending Jesus, your Son, into the world to die for all your people. We thank you for the promise of your return and we thank you that you have given us the gift of the Spirit by whom we may know our identity as sons and daughters of God. So inspire us, encourage us, and teach us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the Holy Spirit. I really love the Holy Spirit. And it's funny because that's a phrase we don't hear very often in church, do we? We'll speak of our love for God quite easily. We'll sing of our love for Jesus in in many, many songs. But it's very rare that we hear people say the words, I love the Holy Spirit. And and you kind of have to ask the question, why? Because he's no less important than the Father and the Son. He's no less part of the Trinity. He's no less at work in our lives as the Father and the Son. He's no uh, less in terms of what he does and who he is. Uh, Yet we don't speak of him quite in that same way as we do perhaps of the Father and the Son. To be able to say freely, I love the Holy Spirit. But the reality is without the Holy Spirit we wouldn't have that relationship with God in the first place. You know, he is the one who, in the beginning, he was there in the beginning, as we'll discover, I'm sure, next week. He was there hovering over the waters as the breath of God. It was the breath of God, the Spirit of God, that breathed the life into the first man and woman. And, and, and he's always been there. He's always been part of the Trinity. He's always been relatable, reliable, and resourceful part of the Trinity as well. And we wouldn't have faith without him. He is the one who leads us to repentance in Jesus in the first place. He's the one who reveals it in our hearts that we need Jesus and leads us to the cross where we find forgiveness for sin and then leads us to the resurrection where we find life in all its fullness and then it seals that within our hearts and the reality is if we fail to recognize or accept the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church then we're settling for less than the fullness of God because he is part of the fullness of God Father Son and Holy Spirit he's not an optional add-on extra if we feel like it It's not a, oh, we'll believe in the Holy Spirit if our theology allows us to. He's a part of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there are differing opinions uh, about him and about uh, who he is. I read a quote this week that I think when I first read it, it challenged me to the core because it's one of those ones that you you read and you just think, oh, hang on. And then you reflect and you realize uh, what's at the heart of it. It said this. Having the Holy Spirit inside of us is even more powerful than having Jesus beside us. Now, hang on a minute, you're thinking, hang on, Jesus is central to all. Absolutely. Jesus is the center, the cornerstone of our faith. Everything in our faith hangs on Jesus. As we discovered in Alpha on Tuesday, the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, it's the linchpin that holds it all together. But when you hear the passage we just heard in John, what what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, I have to go so that you may receive the Spirit. And when you receive the Spirit, he says, you will know that I am in you and you are in me. I am in you and you are in me. That's an incredibly powerful thing for Jesus to be able to say. And for us to be able to say that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives inside each of us. That's pretty incredible. So we still have Jesus walking beside us. We still have the Father's arms around us, absolutely. But we also have the Spirit of God inside of us. It says in scripture that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, that he dwells within us. It's an incredible truth and reality that we live for. Many, many people have tried to define the Holy Spirit, and it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Uh, But one of the best definitions I've come across, and this is just uh, my personal thought, and and you may uh, agree or disagree with this, but is that the Holy Spirit is for us today What Jesus was to his disciples think about everything that Jesus was to his disciples he was a teacher he was a healer he was lord he pointed people to the father he showed people the love of God he challenged them in their sins he he turned them to caused them to repentance he he did all those incredible things on earth and the holy spirit does those things for us today put a slightly different way Jesus came that we may be sons and daughters of God we know that we know the incredible truth that the reason for Jesus coming to this earth was to restore our relationship with God. I don't know if any of you have, uh, have friends who've been through the adoption process, but the adoption process is a, is a very long, drawn-out process, and there's a point at which you meet the children that you're planning to adopt, and at that stage, they're not your children. They're just the children that you intend to adopt. And you have to go through this huge legal process that involves, involves the courts and all kinds of other things. And a legal transaction has to take place in order for you to be able to say, these are my children now. And for the children to be able to say, we are the children of these people. And, and so you go through this legal process and this transaction takes place. And that's exactly what happened on the cross. A legal transaction took place that made us sons and daughters of God through what Jesus did on the cross. As he defeated sin, uh, as, he, as he defeated death at the resurrection, he made it possible for us to be sons and daughters of God. Now the spirit of God makes us know that we're sons and daughters of God an incredibly important role of God, isn't it? It's one thing to, to have somebody do that for us. I mean, if you adopt children, they, children who've never known a forever home, children who've been pushed from pillar to post every few weeks even, or have been in care systems, in and out of care systems, when they are adopted by a family, it's going to be a long time before they really know this is my forever home. And it's the Spirit of God who helps us to know, to truly know deep within our spirits that we have our forever home in God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And we can never truly know that, never truly fully accept that without the Spirit of God in our lives. We'll know it as a theory, but to know it, to truly know it, to truly embrace that identity as sons and daughters of God, we need to see the Spirit not as an add-on extra, but as an integral part of our faith in God. And despite that, there are differing views around him. There are many opinions throughout the world and throughout the church, just as we've heard around uh, the subject of the Holocaust and the Jewish people. That this is one of those things, the Holy Spirit is one of those things, uh, where there's a variety of opinions as to who he is and what he does and how he works and, and what his purpose is. Uh, Notice, I I hope you've noticed, I'm referring to him as a he. That's fundamental, that's biblical, that's scriptural. He is a he, not an it. He's not a thing. He is a person, a relatable part of the Trinity. And there are those who would say that the Holy Spirit was just for the New Testament church, that his job was to get the church off the ground, and then there's no need for him anymore. Well, for me, that's, that's kind of like saying Jesus died for the people who were there at the time, but not for us. That seems ludicrous. I've never known God to be a God who'd give himself for a time and then just withdraw himself and just say, I've done enough of that now, you're on your own, folks. I don't think God works like that. He is a God who loves to give to his people. He is a God who loves to be in relationship with his people, and he knows. And Jesus said very clearly, I am sending you the Holy Spirit that you may know. Now, it wasn't just the New Testament church that needed to know that they were sons and daughters of God. We need to know that we're sons and daughters of God. So the Spirit of God is still at work within the church. He's still alive and well and working fully, I believe, in the church of God that the things that we saw happen at Pentecost are still happening the world over today because he's still that spirit and he's still at work within his church because he still loves his people and still wants to see the church thrive and grow and develop and spread through the world. And he knows we can't do it without him. You know, we are still God's plan A to save the world, whether we like it or not. And we can't do it without him. And to be honest, why would we want to? Why would you want to try and do it without him? And so he sent us this incredible gift of his spirit. There are also those who see the Holy Spirit purely as functional. That he has a function and a purpose. There are things that the Holy Spirit does. And that's true. There are things that the Holy Spirit does. He does have a function and a purpose. He is a very practical part of the Trinity. He does give us gifts of the Spirit so that we can use them for God. He does do uh, very practical things. We can rely on him to help us with certain things. We can rely on him to, to equip us for certain things. But it's much more than just about a functional part of the Trinity. He is a relatable, personable part of the Godhead. And do you know what? Nobody knows you better than he does. Nobody knows you more intimately than the Spirit of God. And so, if we just treat him as functional, we're missing out on the greatest relationship there is. As Christ in us, the hope of glory, that knowing that we are his that comes from the Spirit. And if he's just functional, then we're missing out on someone relational there are those who would say that we don't need the Holy Spirit today because we have everything we need in the Word of God. And I'm going to say that's true to a point. The Word of God is central to everything we do. Everything we need to know of how to live a righteous life and be right before God is in here. This is the God-breathed Word of God. You know, this, is, this is breathed by the, the same breath of God that breathed over creation. That every word in here, even the bits we don't like, even the bits we find challenging and difficult, even the genealogies that list on for hours and hours are all God-breathed, all spirit-inspired words. But suppose I gave you today the autobiography of a celebrity and you read that autobiography from cover to cover. Now, by the time you got to the end, you'd know quite a lot about that celebrity. You'd probably know where they were born, you'd probably know how old they are, you'd probably know what they love, what they don't like, what they have been involved in, the challenges in their lives, the joys in their lives, all the kinds of things. You'd know quite a lot about that person. But you wouldn't be able to profess to know them, would you? You wouldn't be able to profess to know them personally, to say, oh, I know that person, because you've never met them. You've never been in a relationship with that person. So you know everything about them, but you don't actually know them. The Spirit of God is the one who helps us to know the God behind this. Intimately. Not just to know about him, but to truly know him. I don't want to just know about God. I want to know God as he knows me. And the incredible thing is about this Word of God is we never have to read it alone. And we never should read it alone. Whenever you open this book, you should always ask the Spirit to read it with you. To reveal things to you about what you're reading. To encourage you to to grow and to change by what you read. It's not a book to be read, it's a book to be lived. And we need God's Spirit to help us do that. Again, we can't do it alone, so why would we try? Is, um, there is a tendency, I find, for there to be a lot of suspicion around the Holy Spirit. And, and being brutally honest, there are churches that have, have got their handling of the Holy Spirit very right and churches have got it very wrong. And I often find that when I go around different churches that there are a number of people who are a bit like um, a group of deer. This is a weird analogy, but bear with me. I hope it will make sense. Uh, When I was due to be doing a talk on the Holy Spirit, actually, a couple of years ago, um, I was on a quiet day in a beautiful setting, beautiful surroundings. And I just went for a walk in a bit of free time that, that we had in the afternoon. And I just said to God, just give me a picture of what you want to say to your church about the Spirit. And as I said that, I walked round the corner and there was this beautiful herd of deer. Uh, there were about eight or nine of them, I think, and they were, they were just stunning. And they were just sitting there, standing there, eating grass and, and milling around. And then one of them spotted me, and its head was up. And then suddenly all of their heads were up. And they were looking. And all the time I was standing at a distance, they were fine. They were, just, they just, they were aware that I was there. <laughs> But they knew they weren't in danger. And then I started to try to move closer. And suddenly they looked a little bit more wary. And as I got closer, one deer darted off. And then I got a bit closer and another darted off. And before I could get within even 20 feet, they'd all gone. Now I meant those deer absolutely no harm. I was going to do nothing to harm them. They didn't know that because they didn't let me get close enough. They were so wary of me, they just darted off. And I think that's how so many people treat the Holy Spirit. That they're wary of what he might do, or who he is, or, or how he might act, and so they keep him at arm's length, and they, they keep their distance, and if he gets too close, then they close off, and, and they're gone in a shot. So let me just say, I was going to do a talk on what does the Holy Spirit do, but I think I might do a talk on what he doesn't do in the hope that it might help us to see what he does do, if that makes sense. In my experience, the Holy Spirit doesn't do anything to harm you. I've been in situations where um, people have been doing some crazy things in the, in the Spirit, uh, jerking. I've seen people fall over. I've seen people get you know, uh, really quite violently shaking. But you ask them afterwards and none of them have ever been hurt. None of them have ever been hurt by what he's done. He would never do anything to harm you. This is still God we're talking about. This is still God. And so he'd never do anything to harm you. He'd never do anything to pull you away from God. The Spirit's, one of the Spirit's purposes is to draw us closer, not to push us away. And often we push ourselves away because we don't want to let him in because we're afraid he's going to do something that's going to pull us away from God. But he never would do that. Yet we treat him with suspicion. In my experience, he'll never do anything inside the box. (laughs) You see, we have a tendency to put the Spirit of God in a box and that box tends to vary in size depending on our experience but also on our Britishness if I can be honest. (laughs) The Spirit of God does not operate inside a box. So we can't say he'll definitely do this and he'll definitely do that. Something he might have done four weeks ago, he may never do again. Something he's never done before, he may do us to catch us completely by surprise. But whatever he does, it will be good. He doesn't do the same thing for everyone. You see, God is, is universally for everybody. But he knows the individuals. He knows what makes you tick. I think I've probably shared this before, that I uh, went through a phase in my life where I felt nothing of God. I didn't feel that he was close at all. And it was a really painful time for me because I base a lot of what I do on how I feel. <laughs> I'm feeling that God is close. And I went through this season and I just delved into God's word. And I read God's word every day. And I prayed every day, even though I felt nothing. And I said, God, okay, I'm trusting you know what you're doing. And I I trust that this is going to come to an end. And then I just sensed from God, yes, it is. And it's going to come to end on uh, whatever date it was. And I was leading a youth camp at the time. And uh, as I was leading the young people, I I was speaking. And halfway through the talk, I felt it was right to completely stop everything I was saying and share that I'd been going through a difficult time with God which as, as a youth leader was, for me, quite radical. So I shared, my, I honestly said that I'm struggling with God. I'm struggling to feel that God is close. I'm struggling to feel that he's there. And uh, in that moment, the Spirit of God did something in me I've never, I've never known him to do before. What I will say now before I say what happened is that previously I was with some friends and we were praying. And as we were praying... Uh, One of them was jerking as he was praying for me and the other one was weeping. And I said to God, the two things I never want to happen to me are jerking and weeping. At that camp, the Spirit of God fell on me afresh. I wept like a baby for an hour and a half and I was jerking. Do I mind? No. Did it hurt? No. Does he know me better than I know myself? Yeah. (laughs) And it's not the same for everybody. And my experience won't necessarily be your experience. I had a friend who was at a conference and uh, there was a time of waiting on the spirit and he was waiting for his big moment, you know. He was open to whatever God wanted to do in him. And everyone else around him, incredible things were happening. He was seeing God do amazing things in the lives of everybody except him. (laughs) Other people were weeping, not him. Other people were crying and laughing, not David, no, not him. Other people were falling over in the spirit, not, not him. Some people were being healed, not him. And then uh, so the person on the stage was explaining kind of all these things that were happening. And he said, and for somebody here, the spirit of God is sharpening your mind. And in that moment, without even thinking, having thought about it for two hours before, there was a decision that David had been struggling with for months and months and months. He would prayed about it. He'd asked other Christians about it. He'd read the Bible. He'd sought prayer. He'd done loads. He'd done everything he could to try to find the will of God. And in that moment, the Spirit of God renewed his mind, as Paul says in Romans, and he knew what he had to do. You see, it's different for everybody because he knows what we need but we put him in this box based on our experience and say, well, that's how the Holy Spirit works. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works however he wants to work because he knows us. Galatians is a letter that I've, uh, I've read many times. I love the letter of Galatians. I don't know how familiar you are with the letter of Galatians, Paul writing to the church in Galatia. And they had had, the the Galatian church had had a very Um, quite a similar experience in a way to Pentecost, where many people had encountered the Holy Spirit and had come to faith because of that encounter, because of what they'd seen God do. And and for some of them, that was a surprise, because some of them were were Jews who'd come to faith, as we'd been hearing about this morning. They they were Jewish people who who had a certain opinion about God. They had this incredible encounter by God. And then everything that they thought about God was changed in that moment. And they they saw that God was um, this relatable... Uh, personal God. And uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians in in classic Paul way. He's heard that things aren't going quite as they should be going in the church. And uh, there's quite a lot about the Spirit of God in Galatians. But it's funny, no matter how many times I've read this, um, I'd never really kind of noticed these first few verses of chapter three. But as I was preparing uh, this week, um, I just became really aware of them. Paul says this. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish, having started with the Spirit, you are now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing? Is it really, was it, was it really for nothing? Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? What that shows me, as I read that this week, is we have a choice. Life in the Spirit or life with religion. The alternative to life in the spirit is religion, is rules and laws and regulations. Yes, we have the, lo- the rules of God. Yes, we have the commandments and we live within those commandments because God knows what keeps us safe. And he lays those barriers down so that we can be free, actually. They're not fences to keep us in, they're, they're walls to protect us. But within that, Jesus came that we may have life and life in all its fullness and we, we want to be holy. We want to be right before God. It's right to want those things. But what Paul is saying to the church in Galatia here is, you, you began your faith in the Spirit. So where is he now? Why are you trying to... You've seen what it's like to live in the Spirit, so why are you trying to live without Him now? You know you wouldn't have faith in Jesus at all if it wasn't for the Spirit, so why are you trying to live without Him now? You see, God doesn't want a religious church. He wants a church full of people who love Jesus and who love the world because they love Jesus. Jesus. You see, this is the antidote to everything that we've heard about the, the Holocaust this morning, really. Because it's about loving God and loving our neighbour as ourselves, which is the greatest commandment. And who does that work in us? Well, it's the Spirit of God, isn't it? We can't love our enemies without God's help, can we? I mean, yes, love is a choice, but at the same time, it's really hard <laughs> sometimes and if God is love, then surely it makes sense to have love inside us as the antidote to hatred. You can't fight hate with hate. You can only fight it with love. And who is love? God is love. And how do we love? We have him inside of us. Showing us, teaching us, guiding us. The fruits of the Spirit that, that Paul goes on to speak about in Galatians the bit you all know about Galatians (laughs) these aren't fruits of human effort they're fruits of people who have the spirit of God in our lives if you want to be more patient, spend time with the spirit if you want to be more loving, spend time with the spirit if you want to be more caring towards others spend time with the spirit And so may we not shut him out. May we not keep him at arm's length. May we not keep him in a box. But may we be able to say with just as much ease as we do with Jesus, I love the Holy Spirit. I really love the Holy Spirit. Because the alternative To me, it's just not life in all its fullness. It's not what Jesus came for. It's not why he sent the Spirit. I personally want to lead a church of people who love Jesus and love the Father and love the Spirit and know, truly know, that he loves them as well.